anytime you can have one more family with a safe place to stay each night is a good day for me. This is Open to Explore, the FBC Athens podcast featuring conversations at the intersection of faith and life. I'm your host, Frank Granger, Minister of Christian Community. The aim of this series is to deepen our awareness of needs in our community and meet some of the people and organizations working daily to meet those needs. In addition to learning about our community, we can envision ways to use our gifts and resources, personally and collectively, to help in meeting those needs. Twenty years ago, the Interfaith Hospitality Network of Athens brought together a group of congregations and faith-based organizations to share their facilities on a rotating basis to house families who were experiencing homelessness. Since then, the services and programs have grown and developed, and the name has changed to Family Promise of Athens. Today, we meet Madison Sanders, the executive director. We hear her story and the expanded services of Family Promise. I'm looking forward to talking with you today, Madison, and about Family Promise here in Athens and our church's partnership with you. It's going to include some re-education for us uh, because our church has been involved with what we first started with Interfaith Hospitality Network of Athens about 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, At the time, the network at that time was forming. I'm really excited about that and what we'll learn, what we'll discover. First, though, I wanted to ask you about your journey from pursuing a master's in social work to now being the executive director for Family Promise. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me, and um, I'd love to answer that question. To answer it, though, I think I need to go back a little bit farther than that, if that's okay. That's perfectly (laughs) all right. It's your story. (laughs) So I think from the beginning of my life, um, you know, experiences I've had with my own family and experiences I've had in the world made me realize uh, that there's a lot of inequality. Um, There are a lot of times where I would look around and wonder why I'm in the situation I'm in and someone else is in a different situation. And, um, you know, growing up and getting older and seeing more and more of that um, and seeing that in my studies and my subsequent career up in D.C. um, made me realize that while, you know, being on the policy level of things can be awesome and, um, you know, trying to fix things from the top is great. But I also found such great value in the social work profession because it really is you know, centered in understanding the human experience, understanding, you know, why things happen and um, why people make the decisions that they do and how uh, we can, you know, act in community to support everyone as they're on this journey that we call life. So that's how I got back here to Athens for my master's of social work and um, eventually got to Family Promise was I was really interested in the family system, I would say, you know, the importance of family um, and the importance of having that support system, whether it comes from biological family or from what you call and consider your family or your community or your neighbors um, and how critical that is to a person's ability to thrive and to grow and to be a happy and healthy human. And so when I started at Family Promise, I was working directly with families as the service director Um, And seeing, you know, on a daily basis, the struggles of families experiencing homelessness um, and the instability that 
that that caused both for the children and for the parents. Um, and then uh, ultimately, you know, about eight months later, uh, ended up being <laughs> the executive director. Um, the fast track. <laughs> yeah, I would say definitely the fast track. Uh, not necessarily what I expected to happen so soon, but I really enjoyed this position because I feel like I get to see kind of the whole picture of how an organization works and um, how important it is to always grow and to change with the times um, and to be flexible, especially, you know, post-pandemic with uh, the needs of folks and also the needs of an organization. One thing that really strikes me is as you looked and noticed there was a difference in your status, what you had, and that others didn't, I think some people will look upon those situations and say, wow, aren't I fortunate? But I'm so impressed. What it created for you was a curiosity. And it sounds like it created a drive to do something about that. Yeah, I would definitely say so. Um, I think there's a lot of reasons I could probably go into as to why that <laughs> is for me. But but for me, I think I've always just been uncomfortable with that situation. Um, you know, I think for some it can be, oh, I worked really hard. Oh, you know, I got lucky, all of these things. And while I think that's true for myself, I also understand and I've seen firsthand time and time again how the factors that really can be the biggest indicators in a person's success, and I use the word success to describe all things, not just monetarily, um, but their, you know, future ability to thrive is oftentimes undetermined by them, and it's determined by where they were born, uh, who their parents are, uh, the color of their skin, um, and so many other factors that, that really have no bearing on who that person could be. Um, and so that's always just, it's been something that's made me upset, um, something that's made me uh, want to try to be, you know, one small uh, part of the solution um, and, you know, using my privilege and my skills and my um, drive to, to call that out and to also figure out how we can decrease that in the future. It's very impressive. <laughs> when you started as executive director, tell me where we were in terms of pandemic. Yeah, so it was 2021. We were slightly out of the woods, not in the full full emergency mode, but definitely not completely out of the woods. And at that point, Family Promise was really in a transition period of figuring out what is next. Um, you know, a lot of nonprofits dealt with just trying to make sure that the daily needs were met of their of their clients, of their families um, in 2020. And then, you know, continued on that path in 2021 and that fight or flight mode can can go on for a long period of time but for us it uh, really just allowed me to come in with some fresh eyes and, and look at what are we doing um, what did we learn from the pandemic uh, what can we actually say is better uh, that changed during the pandemic for us um, and how can we come out of this as a better organization as a stronger organization that is really focused on figuring out how our services can best meet the ever-changing needs of families. Um, so in that time in 2021, um, it was definitely a lot of, you know, rebuilding um, and taking taking from the old, taking from the new, and figuring out, you know, what is going to be the future of, of the new Family Promise. This is a good spot, I think, for us to make that differentiation for mm -hmm. what Family Promise was at its beginning, that when we signed on, uh, it was a network of churches and other faith groups that offered their building 
in their space about four times a year for a week at a time. And families who were homeless were in the system, and they would stay in the churches and move from church to church until they eventually found some housing through the services that Interfaith at the time provided. That was different in the pandemic. Right. But on this side of the pandemic, describe how it's different. It's not just a change in name from Interfaith to Family Promise, but it's a very broadened organization. Mm -hmm. So describe some of how that's different now. Yeah, definitely. I think it's always important to acknowledge um, where we came from, Um, especially for me as coming in in 2021. I've actually was not a part of Family Promise during any of the rotation period. So it's it's all of you know what I've heard from volunteers and from from folks who have been involved uh, much longer than I have. So yeah, I, I love the beginning roots of, of Interfaith Hospitality Network and now Family Promise um, because to me, it started as a really grassroots community organization project for faith-based communities to understand that like, hey, we have something that is useful. We have really big buildings that primarily get used one, maybe two, maybe three days a week. Um, We also have a large group of people that really care about making a difference and want to use their time and talents to do so. Um, And so when Family Promise started with that rotational shelter model, um, you know, I think that was such an effective and efficient start to Family Promise because it allowed us to uh, use things that were already here, to be flexible, um, and, and to provide a service that was is and was greatly needed here in Athens. Um, all of the family shelters in Athens are consistently full with large, large wait lists. Um, so anytime you can have one more family with a safe place to stay each night is a good day for me. But during the pandemic, what we learned is that we also want to make sure that what we're doing is trauma-informed and that what we're doing is really setting up families for success. And, you know, during the pandemic, we had to pivot that that word that everyone uses. Um, And we we had families stay in one location rather than rotating week to week to different buildings. And so many benefits came out of that. Um, You know, now the kids are able to have the school buses pick them up for school, whereas in the past when they were moving around, that wasn't a possibility. You know, families are able to just have a stable place. They're able to unpack their clothes and not feel like every Sunday they need to pack up and go to a new unfamiliar spot. Um, learn the rules, learn the lay of the land. Um, And so that was something that, you know, we decided we want to keep this um, the way it is. And we want to have a a static shelter where families and children can feel like this is, you know, for a small period of time, um, my home where I can relax. Because oftentimes, you know, having that period of time to just relax and feel safe is the biggest indicator of them being able to then, you know, take the next step of getting employment, getting housing, you know, doing all the things that you need to do. Also during the pandemic, we found that while shelter is an amazing part of the solution to, you know, finding ends to homelessness, it is not the end-all be-all. I mean, it's not the only way that we're able to, to support families in Athens. So what that meant is that we realized, you know, particularly through pandemic funding, but now also through other funding sources, that there are so many families living on the brink of eviction and the brink of homelessness. And we wanted to be able to 
get to a point where families never even have to experience the trauma of homelessness. They never need to go into a shelter. And oftentimes families are living paycheck to paycheck. During the pandemic and beyond, we see oftentimes families having this triggering emergency is oftentimes what we call it. Something like a kid getting sick and you having to take off of work for a week when you work an hourly job that doesn't allow any paid time off. Or you're car has an issue and you have to get that paid for and it's just a large unexpected bill. A large percentage of families here in Athens are not able to handle any sort of unexpected expense and still get their regular rent, utilities, bills paid. Um, So we see families that are one month behind on rent all the way up to a few months behind on rent really as a snowball effect of where something happened and that made it impossible for them to ever catch up. So through our prevention program, which I would say is the biggest expansion we've had and the thing that um, we're really proud of, of of adding to our services and that not everyone knows that we do, is we support families that need that additional rent assistance when those emergencies happen. Um, We've been able to prevent over 200 evictions in the past two years. We we don't really think about dealing with homelessness and helping with homelessness in and using the word prevention in the same sentence, right. do we? Yeah, it often can be a reactive uh, a response yeah. instead of a proactive response. So we feel like this is something that is, was needed in Athens. And because we have the flexibility to change and grow and to, once again, be that community response, just like we started as, that's that's definitely kind of where we've, we've seen ourselves grow the most. That's really good. Yeah. I know on the website there's some other key words Mm -hmm. that speak about the programs, and prevention is one of them. There are several others. There's diversion. So talk to me about diversion. What does diversion mean? Diversion is, um, it's a really exciting aspect for me. It's one of those uh, areas where I see us growing more, and I I hope we get to grow more. Um, And as we get more flexible funding, we will be able to grow more. There are so many families who are currently experiencing homelessness, and there are a limited number of shelter beds. And not every family that is experiencing homelessness necessarily needs, you know, a three to five month stay in a shelter. Oftentimes there are just small barriers that are affecting a family's ability to get housed quickly. So an example of that is, you know, um, we talk about how family homelessness is often invisible. It's not something that you're necessarily seeing downtown or seeing on the streets. Instead, families are usually staying either in like week-long hotel stays or they're staying in their cars. Um, And those things can be very costly. So if someone is staying, you know, at a week-long hotel here, it can be anywhere between seven to $900. And that's not even including, you know, the game day pricing that we'll be experiencing soon. And so, you know, it's virtually impossible to be working, to be Making, uh, making sure your kids are getting to school and saving enough money for housing application fees, for security deposit and first month's rent. Um, we have landlords in Athens that are now requiring security deposit, first month's rent, and last month's rent. And so families might, you know, have a stable job. They might have a car. They might have everything put together. But the upfront costs are what are, you know, making them unable to move into housing quickly. So through diversion, it really is just flexible funding to say, hey, we understand that you're in a situation that you could get out of on your own if you just had this little bit of of help. And so, you know, I find it really exciting. I find it something that we really need in Athens. And, um, you know, a lot of programs have strict requirements on how funding can be used. So we try to be really flexible and and understand that each family is different and has different needs. In the language of investment, that sounds like seed money. Yeah, totally. 
it's just getting, you know, it's getting that start for them. Um, it's saying, Hey, we, you know, we, we understand that you're just, you're, you're behind and it's impossible to catch up. So let's, let's give you some seed money. Let's help get you into housing. And then let's obviously stay with you for the next few months and ensure that it, it works out and continue to provide, you know, resources, referrals as we can. But yeah, it's, it doesn't have to be this thing where everyone who is experiencing homelessness has to get into shelter to get to the next step. And um, we'll never have enough shelter beds for the folks that are experiencing homelessness. Yeah, that's a good way for people to invest in the community is through that kind of seed money. Hey, now you're talking. <laughs> <laughs> All right, one of the other programs is shelter. And I, I would imagine that we really understand that and are most familiar with that, especially mm-hmm. as a church, as we participated in that. The fourth word on there is stabilization. I even have a hard time saying it. <laughs> yeah, stabilization. Um, I think it's a critical, critical part of all of our programming. Um, so as we talk about it, we basically say, you know, if you are in one of those three programs we just mentioned, prevention, diversion, uh, shelter, once you finish with that program, we're not saying goodbye, see you never. Um, we are, you know, really following up um, at least on a monthly basis with folks in all of these programs and ensuring that they have what they need. Um, here uh, at First Baptist, where we have our what we call our day center, we have hygiene products, household products, sheets, towels, laundry facilities. Um, and these are the, you know, the services that we continue to provide to families to ensure that they're able to stay on track. You know, even the, the smallest thing as laundry detergent can be, you know, an additional expense that as you're trying to get, get on your feet can be difficult to, to pay for. So if we're able to provide that for you and um, that ensures that you're then able to pay your utility bills and your rent, then we call that a win. So we usually work with families up to two years, but I say oftentimes, you know, we have families that have, uh, were in our program even before I started with Family Promise that are still in contact with us. Oh, that's great. When I pull up the website, these six words pop up. Helping families experiencing homelessness achieve independence. Mm-hmm. There's a lot packed in those. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else that you would like to share beyond these programs that helps unpack what those words really represent and what the mission of Family Promise is about? In what we do um, and in my understanding and in my core values as a person, I believe that everyone has the right to self-determination and I believe that everyone has the ability to do what they need to to figure out their goals for themselves and to figure out what their definition of independence is. And so what I try to instill in our staff and in our volunteers is that we are trying to be a support system for folks that oftentimes don't have a support system, um, that don't have, you know, other family members or friends or community that they can reach out to. Um, we're trying to be that for them. Like I know if I had an issue, if I had a flat tire, I have, you know, 20 people that I can call. Uh, oftentimes <laughs> our families don't. And um, so we want to be that person that can can be there for them. And so at the end of the day, all of their success is attributed to to them and not to us. Um, we're just, you know, here to, to be a support. We're here to get rid of some barriers. We're here to guide them um, in any way that we can, but we believe that it's, you know, it's the family's success that matters most um, and that they are truly the, the masters of their own fate. So, you know, when it says achieve independence, it means that, you know, all this, this family is going to be able to, to thrive and to be happy and to be healthy and to, 
figure out, you know, stability for themselves. Really creates a lot of self-worth mm-hmm. and self-confidence in people. That's so very valuable. Yeah. You know, I wish that everyone was able to t- speak with and to meet and to learn from our families. I learn from them every day. I learn resilience. I learn um, tenacity. I learn drive. They are in the uh, most traumatic situation you can imagine. Um, but, you know, still every day they wake up and they they yearn for a better tomorrow and you know, it's not always easy. It's not always happy, but it's it's amazing to see how easily they could get down on themselves, but how um, willing they are to continue to work for a better future because of their children and how much they love their children. I'm sure you have lots of stories that you could share. Mm-hmm. Uh, share one story with us that you can think of uh, that tells about not only one of these families, but really highlight something that you've learned from them. Yeah, I have, I have, I have a ton. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Which one is my favorite though? The one that I tell often, because I think it also, to me, this story is the one that shows that you can do everything right and it can still not go right um, because of the systemic (laughs) problems that we see. Uh, in Athens and, you know, in the world. So we have a single mom. Um, She came to us with two children. She had been evicted. Uh, She moved to Athens. Her her grandmother was here, and she also had dreams of eventually going back to school to get a college degree. Um, And when she got here, it just, you know, things didn't turn out as as she had might might have expected um, and ended up living in her car. And from there, we uh, took her into shelter. And within, you know, the first day she showed up and she had her folders, her binders, she had everything, her documents. Um, And when I say she was on top of it, it, I mean, she was on top of it. And, you know, in three months, she was able to continue her career, her employment. She was able to get the housing voucher that is, you know, can be hard to, to get here in Athens. And then she was able to apply and find housing. Um, and that oftentimes, you know, takes a lot longer than three months, but she was determined. Um, and whenever she was not working, she was figuring out how to make sure that she had all of her ducks in a row for housing to come through for her. She gets into housing and additional problems start. You know, here in Athens, there is a wide variety of landlords and management companies and where she was living ended up having uh, plumbing issues, rat infestation, bed bugs, actually defects ended up being called, you know, to check on her children because of the bed bug issue. So something that was completely out of her control triggered this potentially uh, additional, you know, traumatic event of you know, having the scare of, of your kids be taken away for something that you really can't control. She was working with management um, and they just, to be honest, were not <laughs> willing to do anything. So even though she had this apartment, it was paid for, uh, she ended up moving back into her car because it was uninhabitable and she was not willing to lose her children. Yeah. And, you know, as I mentioned with the stabilization program, she was still, a, you know, a client of Family Promise even once she moved into housing. So we understood what was going on. Um, We were giving her supplies as we could. And from there, uh, we ended up opening our new transitional housing units on Magnolia Terrace uh, in partnership with the Habitat for Humanity. And we said, you know, we believe that she's an amazing candidate for this program. It's a year-long lease at $300 a month. It's a great two-bedroom apartment. And when she moved in, within a few weeks, the teacher of her children said, 
you know, all of a sudden <laughs> they're happy, their attention spans have gone up, their performance has gone up. Um, you could tell a, a drastic 180 in the children and their ability to be in school and to, you know, do, do what they need to do and to focus because they had a safe place to sleep each night. And while she's been in this program, she continues to work overtime and she also continues to go to classes in order to be qualified to maybe eventually be a homeowner. And so there are so many times where people can feel like they're so close to getting to the next step and then something happens that's out of your control, similar to the, you know, the plumbing and the bed bugs, et cetera. So I tell that story because for me, I think it can be easy to think that if you are homeless, it should just it should be you get a job and then you find housing and then you're okay. And it's it's never that simple. The barriers and the challenges, even with things as small as getting your identification or getting your social security card, can take weeks, can take months, and can make it seem like it's going to be forever, if ever, that you will be able to find housing. So I love that story of this mother. She's an amazing person and someone that inspires me every day. That's a beautiful story. On this side of it, mm-hmm. it was yeah. very tragic in mm-hmm. the middle of it. Yep. You mentioned doing something in partnership with Habitat. Mm-hmm. Uh, say a little bit more about that project. Yeah. So we, well, me, I'll say um, my background, my undergrad degree is in economics. So I'm always about specialization of, of, of services. And I think it's great when you can use the skills of multiple people or multiple entities to, you know, have this mega force. And so (laughs) that's kind of what I consider our partnership with Habitat. They are experts in building and they are experts in management of, of property. And I think we are, you know, considered experts in case management and considered experts in the social work side of things. And so the partnership with Habitat is is really putting those two things together and saying if we can if we can have these units where families can move in at an affordable rate and then we can be alongside them for that full entire year and figure out ways to help them increase their employment and, the, and their wages to save money to work on their credit score, which is often an issue, um, in order to then enter the private market, then I call that a, a huge success. That is, and that that is a real variance from the typical habitat model, mm-hmm. which is to get people in their own homes. This right. is transitional housing. Yeah, it is. And, you know, I think while homeownership is an amazing goal, um, it takes a long time to, to be ready for that. You know, being a renter is is a whole beast in, within itself. Um, when we have, uh, we have adults, we have parents who have never rented on their own, who are moving out of their parents' house for the first time, or have never actually had a place, you know, a lease with their name on it. Um, and there's a lot that goes into that, you know, understanding when to reach out to your landlord, how to, you know, how to talk about maintenance issues, when and how to pay your rent. You know, we have families that don't have bank accounts and, you know, they get paid in cash. So how do we ensure that we're able to get money orders? You know, there's, there's so many things that go into it. And so we believe that our lives are continuums and that transitional housing is, is an amazing way to go alongside them and help them build those skills for themselves. And, you know, I'll just say we, we always, would love to build more of these. It's something that we definitely see as a goal in the future is how do we continue this partnership with Habitat, find more units, build more uh, available spaces where we can continue to to do more of this transitional work because I think it takes a long time to get from point A to point B. It does. How many of these do you currently have? We currently have two. Okay. And any more in the definite plans or just on the wish list? We have uh, we have one site that has been identified that we, you know, are just 
working on raising the money for. But we have a site that's identified with Habitat that is, you know, ready for renovation once once we have the money. It's all about the money. All about the money. <laughs> yep. Yeah. In a similar vein with a story, we talked about some of the different ways in which you've learned something from folks. I wonder if you can share an experience in which a volunteer or a supporter really had an epiphany moment. Yes. I think that happens a good amount. I think I often say with, with Family Promise and just with, with the world, it's it's very easy to, to think you understand a situation if you've never actually interacted with someone in that situation. Um, so I think that's, you know, an awesome part of Family Promise and the the volunteer community model that we have is, is an opportunity for folks that might come from different backgrounds to meet and to become potential friends and to, to become potential support systems for each other. And I hope and I and I continue to work to make Family Promise an organization that isn't just we have volunteers on one side and we have people receiving help on the other. Because I think, you know, any time that you're meeting a new person in your community, you're making your world smaller. And I think we spend a lot of time making the world bigger <laughs> by buying bigger houses on bigger plots of land where you don't need to talk to your neighbor and by using Amazon and all the things that aren't local and <laughs> for better or for worse, every time we do that, we're just expanding and making the, the world bigger and it's kind of decreasing our ability to, to see the other side of our neighbor. And so that's a long-winded way to say that I think one of the biggest things that I've heard from a few volunteers is when I'm able to just tell a story of, of what it really takes to get to, to get from you know homelessness to housing, that's when they learn the most. One, one story that I told uh, last year at our La Tabla event was about a single dad and his difficulty with figuring out how to work a minimum wage job when he had to drop his child off at school. Then he had to work, you know, just a few hours, but then he also had to be home in time for his child to be dropped back off to him, meaning, you know, in total, he could maybe work four or five hours a day for $10 an hour with no car and also having to, to use the bus system. And so you hear a lot of tropes about there's job job hirings everywhere. You see now hiring everywhere. You know, it's not that hard to get a job. And while that's true, I will say that most jobs are not meant for working parents. Um, we don't spend enough time supporting working parents on figuring out ways to, to make a job work for someone who might be caring for children or for other family members on their own. The stories that you talk about and the people you talk about, the needs that are there, um, sometimes we get to a point where we just almost have to pause and take a breath. It can feel that it's just almost more than we can handle. Mm -hmm. um, but you wake up every day and move off into that world of adventure and work to make a difference. So tell our folks... What are some of the ways in which, beyond what we already do as a congregation, what are some of the ways in which we can partner and we can be of help to work with Family Promise uh, on some of these new initiatives? So many ways. Um, I can give you a menu of, of ways uh, for sure. I think, you know, going from the top to bottom, the biggest thing that we always need is is funding. Funding can come in so many different levels and forms. And I think, you know, oftentimes 
um, it can feel like, oh, that's that's not doing enough, but it's doing so much um, for us to be able to have money that we can spend on direct direct family needs. And that's what I would say 85% of our budget goes to. I would say second would be we need your time. <laughs> so if you can't give money, give time. And when I say time, I mean, you know, our shelter is currently fully volunteer staffed, uh, meaning we need, you know, folks to bring dinner. We need folks to stay overnight on Monday through Monday through Sunday. We need folks to be there on the day during the day on Saturday and Sundays. And there's a variety of other ways to volunteer as well. I think sometimes we we feel limited in our ability to to volunteer. But what I like to tell folks is if you have a skill, if you have a passion, if you have something that you've done in your career for the past 30 years, a nonprofit is just like a business. You know, we need accountants, we need tech folks, we need social media graphic designers. And so if you have one of those skills, uh, you know, we'd love to figure out a way to plug you in individually. And if time and if talents and if money might not be uh, might not be either any of your jams, um, I, I always say the final thing is just your voice. Even just learning these stories, learning about these folks, learning about the policies that exist in Athens and what's going on in Athens, and then telling your friends about it, telling your family about it, telling anyone who will listen about it. I think in Athens and, and across the country, we are sort of missing this larger and broader understanding of, of what homelessness is and how to, how to fully solve the solution. So I always just love when folks take a story that I've told or take a story from their own experience. And anytime you hear someone saying something about homelessness that might not sound good or right to you, use that example as something for someone to think about. You know, how can we think differently about, about people that are in our community that are truly struggling and are humans um, with inherent dignity and worth, um, as we all are. So I say, you know, money, time, talents, and your voice. Advocacy is a very important piece. Yeah, and it's often forgotten about, especially on a local level, but it makes it, it makes a real difference, and I've seen that recently for sure, just how important it is to, to be involved and to know what's going on in your own community. Obviously, homelessness and stability of shelter is a very important need in this community. What one or two other needs would you put at the top of the list that you come into contact with that are really crucial for us to work toward meeting? Well, I think you can't talk about homelessness without talking about affordable housing. And, you know, oftentimes that is, that's the barrier. That's the thing that we're missing and the thing that makes it so hard to do this job. So just the number of, of a units that are available in Athens that are affordable is um, incredibly low versus the number of folks who are needing lower rents. If you think about it from a landlord's perspective, if they have a four-bedroom house, um, in Athens they have two options. Their option one is to rent to four individual college students who more likely than not have uh, four sets of parents willing to pay a larger price for that house. Um, or they can rent to a single family who has one to two potential incomes that they're able to pay for. Um, so the prices that they can charge you know, for college students is, is just always going to outweigh the price that a single family can pay. So that's what we deal with with every day in Athens. And you know, there there's incentives involved, and there are things that could that could happen that could you know increase the the availability and affordability of housing for sure. And you know, those are just things that we continue to work for and to advocate for. And then, as I mentioned earlier, I think something that just people oftentimes 
forget about or don't realize is how difficult it it truly is to to work and to find a living wage that fits with the schedule necessary. Um, you know, there are jobs that are out in Jefferson that make higher wages, but they oftentimes are nighttime jobs, jobs when childcare centers aren't open. There are truly no 24-7 childcare facilities here in Athens. Um, there's really barely any, if any, weekend childcare facilities in Athens. So while there might be a lot of jobs, um, they don't line up with our workforce, or particularly our working parent workforce. So I find that to be, you know, a big societal systemic issue is employers need to figure out ways to to make work work for, for families, you know, whether that's on-site child care or uh, offering a large uh, increased wage or whatever it might be to, to, to keep their workforce and to make it more feasible for a working parent to have a job and have a child. That is one of the things that is seemingly unique about Family Promise is that its real focus is on how we help families. Mm -hmm. And all of us know that families are complex organizations and systems, and there aren't simple answers, as you say, with just going and getting a job that's available. Because you got to work around a lot of schedules because those young children uh, have important schedules and their stability is really key. And it also sounds like you have people that are very caring and loving people toward their family. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. These aren't terrible people. No, they're, <laughs> no, they're, they're the exact opposite, you know. And I think it can be easy when you have a visual in your mind of what homelessness is um, when you when you have never talked to many folks that are different than you. And in the world we live in today, it's not easy to find folks that are different than you because we have become a, a relatively segregated society, you know, in different ways, particularly, I would say, socioeconomically. And so it's not an easy thing to, to figure out how to cross lines and meet people that are different than you. But when you do it, Folks on the other side seem much less scary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I hear I hear in Athens all the time folks saying that they are nervous or afraid to walk by someone who looks different than them. And for me, as someone who's been doing this and who's also worked with individuals experiencing homelessness, some of my best friends, people that I really care about, are homeless or have been homeless. And they have taught me so much and they have such passion and resilience and just want to be part of the world. They just want to be part of a community. The other day we had a, this is a slight tangent, but we had a a listening session for people with lived experience for the Athens Homeless Coalition. And eight folks showed up who either currently or previously have experienced homelessness. And all of them said, all we want to do is, you know, live a happy and healthy life like everyone else. And to not have folks look at us like we are going to immediately, you know, rob them or hurt them or yell at them and, to hear to hear that come out of people's mouths and to to see the the just willingness to be a part of the change and to to change the narrative and to get their voice out there is is nothing less than um, inspiring. I would say, mm. yeah, very good. I haven't asked you anything about La Tabla. Do you want to say anything about La Tabla? Yeah, I would. Lo- I would love to actually. La Tabla is our annual fundraiser. It's our signature event. It's been going on for 
quite some time. Um, and it's a luncheon that we have on, on a Tuesday in February. And for uh, the past few years, it has been um, an amazing event with around 300 folks. And the biggest, the biggest coolest thing about it is uh, table hosts come and they decorate their tables with amazing tablescapes. Um, and I think until you've seen it in person, you really don't understand what amazing tablescapes it mean. It is hard to describe. <laughs> we can't describe it yeah. on this format. Not, not in this pictures. format. Yeah, you have to go to our website or social media to see photos. But we're really excited about 2024 La Tabla for a lot of reasons. One is because it is our 20th anniversary of uh, being an organization. And two, because we're actually moving to a, a bigger space, which is going to allow us to invite more community members and more folks to join us. So it's on February 6th uh, at 1055 Barber. There'll be more information to come about buying a ticket and, and coming and seeing what, what the magic of La Tabla truly is. But we're really excited because we feel like this is the time in the lives of the organization to expand and to grow our reach and to, um, you know, to open up what we've been doing and our mission to more more folks. So we're excited to have a larger space uh, to be able to do that. That's very exciting because I've gone for a number of years and it's really been at capacity right. for quite some time. This is not a new occurrence for it to be at capacity. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And so, you know, we're excited to to invite it to new people and, and not not sell out to the folks that love it so much and have come every year. So come one, come all. And you will not be disappointed because you'll see the creativity that you just can't quite imagine. Yeah. <laughs> Madison, it's been a lot of fun to talk with you. I have a few lightning round questions. Okay, here goes nothing. They're easy ones. Are you ready? Yes. Mountains or beach? Mountains. When it comes to barbecue, pork or brisket? Pork. Pepsi or Coke? Coke. My Georgia girl. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> backyard party or black tie gala? Uh, backyard party. And what is the most unusual job you've ever had? Wow, what a question. Um, I spent a summer as a researcher in Vietnam. <laughs> oh, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> Yeah, it was quite an experience in a in a little rice village, um, and I spent the summer um, doing data collection and writing reports for a university over there. So I would call that's definitely a, another hour long podcast for you. That definitely <laughs> is. We're going to have to make an appointment to do that one because I would love to hear more about that. Yeah. Thanks so much, Madison. It's been fun to talk with you, Thanks, and Rick. very much appreciate your work with Family Promise and the difference that you make in people's lives. Thank you. We appreciate all that First Baptist has done for Family Promise as one of the founding members, and we just look forward to us growing and learning together. That sounds great. Yeah. Thanks. Family Promise welcomes volunteers and contributions. An immediate opportunity to donate is coming November the 12th. Ken Miedema, composer, singer, and pianist, will hold a benefit concert at Millage Avenue Baptist Church at 4 p.m. on that day. All ticket sales will go to Family Promise. In the show notes, you can find a link to the website for Family Promise. Also, there are links to other resources concerning homelessness here in Athens. You can also help by sharing this podcast with others in your network of people who are interested in alleviating homelessness in our community. Thanks for listening. 
And be sure to join us next week to meet Spencer Fry and the Athens Area Habitat for Humanity. This is Open to Explore, the FBC Athens podcast featuring conversations at the intersection of faith and life.